Hello and welcome to Theater 42, a virtual art house cinema. The only place to watch films in theaters at home in comfort. So join our Kickstarter campaign and enter for your chance to win the golden ticket with unlimited access to live shows, events, and films. To learn more, visit our website at theater42.org. That's theater42.org. And soon you'll be well on your way to a lifetime of cinema. For early access, exclusive content, and so much more, go to patreon.com slash lifethroughfiction. That's patreon.com slash lifethroughfiction. I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Before we get started, next week we are going to be watching Mikey and Nikki. You got to pick this film, Andrew. I'm very excited to see it. I haven't seen any of Elaine May's stuff. She hasn't made a whole lot of films. She's only directed five films, but Andrew says it's good. So I'm sure it will be, I'm sure it'll be a good time. John Cassavetes, Peter Falk. It's good. But you picked this movie, Portrait of Lady on Fire. Of course, a movie that uh, I've known about, you know, since it came out probably in 2019. So, uh, you know. Directed by um, French director Celine Schiama. Schiama. Did you watch this movie in theaters? No, I did not. I wanted to see it in theaters, but for whatever the reason, it was just like one of those movies that I kind of missed out on. And so I ended up, the first time I ended up watching it, I was actually watching it for a class for Butler, like a film class. I had heard about it. I'd want to see it for a long time. And of course, Letterboxd, you know, fucking loves this movie. The first time I watched it was like a year ago and I had to watch it for class. And I'm going to be honest, I forgot this movie was in French. I don't know why I would forget a detail like that because it's a very French movie. Like it's extremely French. <laughs> I don't know why, like when I think about that movie, it was always in English. I don't know, but it's it's extremely French. It's about as French as a movie can get. That's a funny detail to uh, not remember, but whatever. There's not like a lot of talking. They're not in any like major French city. You know what I mean? They're not in like uh, Paris or anything like that. The whole movie basically takes place in a house. And you know, the house could be anywhere. It could be in New England. It could be in England itself. You know, yeah, I I don't, I guess I don't really uh, blame you for forgetting that aspect. Because it's not really like, there's not like a lot of, like I said, a lot of talking going on. A ton of it, at least. Yeah, it's just a, a cold beach and a, and a house and a big empty house. Those are pretty much all the locations. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. This movie is like you know I would define it as very uh, low key. It's very quiet. You know, there's still a lot going on. Of course, um, it's not like a movie where nothing happens. Um, quite a bit happens, and in a short period of time, basically within the span of two weeks, I, I think it's uh, effective in that and being able to kind of slow down and kind of make a movie, make a narrative that's very um, quiet, subdued, but still pretty powerful. Yeah, I forgot how moving this film was. And maybe the original experience, I just wasn't in the right mindset. I think sometimes when you watch a film, it can be kind of shaded by uh, your current situations or feelings. But this film really hit this time. It was, it was a pretty intense experience, which isn't, a bad thing by any means i think you know that kind of experience should be celebrated in some t- sense but it was it was quite something 
I like that there's no music in the movie. That's like one of my favorite aspects. When music does show up, it happens um, within the universe of the movie itself, like in the reality of the movie itself. So there's no like um, score. Sometimes I think period pieces, they like to like really inundate like a movie with like a like a lot of scoring. But I like, a, you know, portraying a fire, like it kind of is able to, um, when music does show up, it's uh, it, it feels like natural and a part of the movie, which I really like. And it kind of makes sense to, you know, when they're, when, when they're like in the house and stuff, especially like there's no music, it's like extremely quiet. There's not like any noise and it makes sense because, you know, it's like, what, like the 17th century, you know, there's nothing going on, you know, like they can't listen to music or the radio. There are no planes or cars. That's it. You know what I mean? So. I like that aspect a lot, uh, that aspect quite a bit. I appreciate that aspect quite a bit. Um, and of course, it's a very good looking movie. It's a absolutely beautiful film using a lot of natural lighting, a lot of sunlight. And I think lighting period pieces can often be challenging because you don't really have the benefits of using lights in camera. Every light has to be off camera and so sometimes it can create a look that is kind of stale i think there's a lot of um you know when i think of a lot of period pieces a lot of times they kind of look kind of tv movie ish there's a lot of bad except for barry linden barry linden is one of the greatest looking movies well obviously obviously not barry linden one of the (laughs) probably the best one one of the greatest period pieces of all time i do think this one is and one of the things about this film is it rarely ever has a deep focus. It's almost always in shallow focus. It uses a lot of long lenses here. Sometimes that can be used, especially in some modern films. It's kind of just used to like make an image look better, right? There's like no logic or reason to it. It's just like, oh, you know, we're doing like a shot reverse shot. And so we're going to do a, you know, a, a shallow uh, depth of field. But I think in this film, it creates a real sense of loneliness and longing and also a sense of not feeling as if they are part of the world. You know, often when they do these shots, reverse shots with these narrow depths of field or shallow depths of field, it feels as if these characters are not within this world or they're not part of this world. And that's true for our two main characters, right? They don't feel as if they belong with the rest of the world. And, you know, for most of the film, they are rather secluded. I mean, there's what, basically three four main characters and through most of the film it's kind of just just the three of them yeah like i said very low-key it's a very small cast it's just basically one location which is nice you know kind of getting in the movie you know with our characters you got marianne you get you get a you get a nice uh intro scene where they're like uh, marianne's teaching a class and one of her students is like, oh, Marion's like, who brought that painting out? And it's like a painting of like a like a woman, like I think running across like a field or something. And she's a portrait of a lady on fire. That's what I was going to say. Like, they're like, they're one of the students is like, what is it called? And she's like, portrait of a lady on fire in French, of course, which is, uh, it's kind of funny. But you know, whatever, it doesn't really, it's just funny. Like, you should just say it's the whole title of the movie. Yeah, like Marianne, there's no uh, narration, but it's like, yeah, like you you think Marianne is like basically like relaying a story um, where, you know, Marianne, she uh, years ago was tasked to paint the uh, portrait of Eloise, who's a, who's a who's basically like a, a gentry aristocrat who is uh, going to get married to some guy, to some guy from Milan, right? Yeah. Some guy they've never met just because of like money or power, you know, like aristocratic things. 
and and it's set up too. It's it's established too. Once Marion gets there, is that like I think her Eloise's sister is supposed to was supposed to marry the guy, right? Yeah, and yeah, and she finds out that like her sister like killed herself. Uh, essentially um like on the uh, cliffs of where they are that's kind of like an aspect to it of course is very which is very sad and you kind of like see it in uh the whole like everybody in the movie including like the mom and like the and eloise and the uh and the um i didn't remember the name of the uh the maid yeah i forget her name they're all like really super sad um you can tell <laughs> about the whole like at least like when marion gets there you can tell everybody's super sad about it and of course, Eloise is upset. A lot of this movie is just people uh, walking around being sad, which isn't. I'm, I'm not criticizing the film. I, I think it's a good film, but no, that's just that's just how it is. Yeah, it's just like the they set a really good tone for kind of you know how these people exist in this world. And of course, you know one of the uh, one of our introductions to Marianne once like we jump into the past or whatever is her, one of her paintings like falls into an ocean and she just. It's like her. It's like her canvases. I think. Yeah, it's like, like her canvas. Her yeah, canvases. she just fucking jumps into the ocean, which is it's pretty badass. Surrounded by all those like revolutionary style men, they have those like pointy three corner hats. Yeah, that's like the only time in the movie you see men. By the way, like you see men like maybe at the very end of the movie, like one guy talks to Marion. That's pretty much it. Yeah, mostly because like the movie is very like has a very small cast. But yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of you know men in the movie um at the beginning and then at the end marianne meets uh, eloise's mother and she's like look like another guy tried to paint eloise and you get and the painting looks kind of cool you know it's like a, it's like a it's a badass painting it's kind of like it's kind of cool it's like in the but it's like a no head but it's like the full body her like face is like scratched out it's cool and she's like we need a portrait badly <laughs> <laughs> like and but she will not post like for um a portrait painter so this guy that we had like couldn't do it um, i told like eloise that you're like walking with her like just going on walks with her a companion and just like i guess like study her and stuff and then paint it basically you know just like in secret like walking around with her and trying to like i guess study her features and her face and stuff yeah that's pretty much not the first half of the movie maybe the first half of the movie i'd say yeah about the first half i mean that's like the first at least like 40 minutes is her trying attempting to secretly paint Eloise via like they go on walks in like a abandoned not an abandoned just like an empty beach with cliffs it's just like the beach they just live next to a cliff which has a beach yeah I like when they I like when they go out and you know she's wearing her like black cloak yeah <laughs> uh and they just like walk out and then like she just like fucking like starts Sprints. running towards the cliffs and you're like oh no and then and then she stops herself and she's like uh, they have like a conversation like you know i wanted to know what that felt like or whatever and she's and marion's like dying and she's like like you no know, running you know which you know eloise is probably not suicidal i guess is establishing but she's still like really sad and upset and because like also too she's like has to be like trapped inside the house because she's worried about because her mother's like worried about her which is which is kind of weird it's like i thought that was kind of weird where it was like her mother's like mentions the fact that she's worried that eloise might also kill herself like her sister did and she's like yeah go over to the cliffs where um her sister also <laughs> perished it's like why would they why would she do that like i understand like you want the portrait painted 
and a way to like to get her like i don't know to like be with this person is to like say like you know like oh they're going out for walks with you i don't think there's anything stopping eloise from jumping off the cliff if she wanted to you know what what is marion gonna do you know so i thought that was kind of weird but i mean like what is she supposed to like lock her in the house like what's she supposed to do that was something that was something that Delilah pointed that out. Yeah, I was just kind of like, what? You know, I, I actually, I, absolutely. Either way, it sucks. What being locked in the house sucks, but also like, you know, going out like is scary because she might also jump off the cliffs like Eloise did. So I don't know. It's like there's really no solution. I also think the mother. I mean, she doesn't seem necessarily that concerned with the interests of her daughter. I mean, she's not like she's not like a nefarious person necessarily, but. She's not of the opinion. I don't, I think the reason she allows her to go walk near the cliffs is she doesn't think she's going to do it. Like she thinks the only reason that she won't pose because she's just like stubborn. Like she doesn't think she has it in her to complete this suicide. And she seems to not really grasp and she never really talks about it, which is interesting, but she doesn't seem to really grasp why her other daughter committed suicide. Like to her eyes, marriage is just this thing you do like it's just like a it's just like a political thing like it's just a, a business venture like there's no there's not supposed to be like love or anything in it which so like the mother's kind of confused by the whole situation of like why either of these daughters care cuz to her which i assume like that's probably how she got into aristocracy too right so you just married some guy and the guy died and she's like that's just like that's just life that's just how it works you marry some like guy you've never met before and then you like live a rich life i, I like how the movie too it kind of it's kind of i'm kind of skipping ahead but you know you know marrying a rich arist if you're if marrying a rich aristocratic guy might not always be the worst thing in the world you know what i mean for some people she talks about like milan right they talk about milan and how like oh yeah milan is really nice you can go there and you know marion talks to eloise about like you know like oh yeah i've been to milan it's really nice and you know, and Eloise is like, yeah, the only reason I go to church is to listen to music. And Marion's like, well, there's tons of music in Milan. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever listened to an orchestra? And they have that great moment where she's like, no, I never listened to it before. Like, could you, uh, like, uh, how do you describe it? And, you know, they set the harpsichord and they play a little tune. You know, it's a good moment between them. So, yeah, there's kind of like um, this establishing and also kind of, you know, thing where it's like, you know, it's not like the worst thing in the world. You get to like do a bunch of cool stuff, you know, rather than sit at home and do nothing because, you know, you're a woman in the 17th century. Like, you can't really have, like, a career as much, although Marianne kind of is, like, a person that Eloise is interacting with for the first time that actually kind of does, which is interesting. Yeah, the juxtaposition of Marianne and Eloise, and you kind of see this back and forth, especially in the second half when uh, Eloise decides to pose for Marianne is really fascinating because in Marianne's eyes, they're kind of in the same place. Like as far as Marianne sees it, like they're women who are forced to do things that they don't want to do. And that's just kind of like, that's just the way of the world. And, you know, you just kind of have to accept that. But of course, as Eloise points out, like Marianne is kind of an anomaly for a 17th century woman. She basically owns her own business. Her father was a painter and now she's a painter. She gets to travel the world. She's very independent. She never has to get married. And so to Eloise, like Marianne's kind of living the 
like the life she's always wanted to live, a, a life of independence, really. But Marianne feels very isolated in that independence, as I mean, it must must be right, incredibly isolating to be in a position where, I mean, she literally has to sneak around to make certain types of paintings because it's not considered proper or whatever and a lot of times she has to submit things in the name of her father and she has to like play this game to just be recognized as a painter so she feels trapped in her own way but to Eloise uh, Eloise doesn't see it the same which I mean I guess that also makes sense since Eloise kind of feels as if her whole life has been decided for her and she just kind of has to exist in it where at least Marianne can you know, even if she is like trapped within certain restraints, she still has some sense of choice that Eloise doesn't have. Yeah, no, they're 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 good characters. You know, they uh, work off each other pretty well. They have uh, very different uh, upbringings and lives, um, so it's kind of uh, good. And uh, I think the writing in the movie is good too. I think, um, you know, like I said in the first half, they kind of establish kind of like a a kind of this bond because Marianne kind of has to for her job, and then by the time Marianne's finishes the first portrait she decides to confide to Eloise like look you know I'm a painter and uh you know I've been trying to paint a portrait of you by walking around with you and stuff like here's a portrait and Eloise is like yeah this shit sucks you you got it wrong and Marianne's just like upset she's like oh fuck she like ruins it and then the mom's just like yo uh you're fired or whatever like you're supposed to do it and and now it's ruined and eloise is like no wait i will pose for it why do you think she poses for it i mean they kind of have that conversation with like the mom and eloise where like um her mom's like why 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 are you going to pose for it when you didn't before basically is what she asked and eloise is like you know does it make a difference to you or whatever like i love that scene when eloise looks at the painting because Eloise gives like all these reasons as to why the painting sucks. She's like it, you know, there's no life in it. There's no this, there's no blah, blah, blah. Marianne goes, I didn't know you were an art critic. And Eloise goes, I didn't know you were a painter, which is, it's a great line. It's a really spectacular line. But I, I think the reason that she poses for it harkens back to the conversation they had at the beach just before this. Marianne confesses that she's a painter. She's been hired to paint the portrait portrait and blah 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 Eloise has this moment I don't remember the exact line but she basically says you know so that's why you've been staring at me which to me implies that I think from the beginning Eloise kind of is has fallen for Marianne well yeah yeah at this point they definitely have yeah yeah at this point at like Right before they do the second portrait, I believe. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's why she posted. She doesn't want Marianne to leave because she knows, like, once the portrait's done, like, their relationship is over. And that's kind of the whole second, like, that's kind of the big ticking clock, as it were, right, of the second half of the film is they know that, like, once the portrait is done, like, she's going to leave and they're never going to see each other again. So there's this time element to it that's kind of always overhanging everything that they do. Yeah, that, that that part is interesting too because it's like I think that um they do kind of for a minute after the second portrait is finished they do for a minute kind of like talk about like um like Marianne is like upset right like she's upset about the fact that like um they'll never see each other again so they kind of like talk about it for a second as if like maybe Eloise should like run away but that 
is like only considered for a second. Um, and I think that um, the alternative to what is actually happening where Heloise has to get married to this guy, the alternative to that is barely considered, which is interesting. Like it's considered for maybe half a second. I think ultimately they just, they, they, they both like can't do it. You know what I mean? Like they're just, they both have to kind of like resign themselves to um, just the way that things are. I guess, even though they have to part ways, which I find very interesting and kind of realistic. I guess like a, a movie that's um, maybe less realistic or more um, more dramatic, fantastical would be like, you know, them running away or whatever, which that's what we want, right? Like th that's what we would want. But it's interesting that, you know, th they kind of just resign themselves to just the way that it's going to be. I think that's the true tragedy of the film and it's something that's like pointed out at the very beginning and as you say you know there's kind of this short conversation near the very end where they sort of kind of imply that they could do it but even that it feels fleeting and as if they never could they are people who have been given this fate given this destiny and that's just kind of like the life they have to live and so these moments these extremely fleeting moments are kind of the entirety of their lives because they know that they won't be given this chance again and they're not and i mean you know what other course of action do they really have i mean i guess they could run away together but it'd probably end up more like a the graduate situation right where they end up running away and then like what the fuck are they gonna do then because they live in a in a time and an age and that it's basically impossible for them to exist together to live together the idea of just like two women living together like that like being together like that like it's just like not a possibility you know it just doesn't it, you know at this point in history it's like it's not even like something to consider because it it's it's so out there for so many people you know what i mean i like the second half of the movie a lot because they're just hanging out marianne eloise and sophie they're hanging out and um, i like too that they incorporate this very nice and tasteful kind of subplot about the abortion uh, uh or should i say sophie's abortion which i found uh very surprising I was not expecting it and i found it very tasteful and very nice you know sophie it's not she's not a main character well you know there's like four characters in the movie so i mean she might as well be but you know like sophie is like without knowing too much about her uh you quickly care about her and her situation i think the movie does that really well um i thought the whole part of the movie was uh very really great Sophie's a really interesting character because for the first half of the film, she's kind of just background. Like she's there to be like, oh, Eloise is here or, you know, she's giving food or she's doing this or that. But I think it's really thought provoking that, you know, even though through the first half of the film, she's not a main character, she's not given a whole lot of lines. She's kind of always there in the background. And then, right. It also kind of represents the, the way, right, the kind of invisible servant, as it were, right, how they're kind of always around, they're kind of always there. And even as a a film goer, you kind of put them there in the background. And then she's given this bigger role halfway through in which uh, she exposes the truth that she's pregnant and she wants to get an abortion. And uh, one of my favorite cuts in this film is right after she says that, uh, cut to you see her feet dangling uh, and that's like all you see it's great and so like right the assumption 
it's a great it's a great cut because the logical assumption is that she found out she was pregnant she doesn't know what to do and she's killed herself but the two of them are so like nonchalant about it so it's like very confusing like marion and eloise like what the fuck is going on so you're like uh, she can't be hanging herself but what was she what is she doing they're just like doing different things to try to get her to abort yeah she like hangs from the ceiling i guess i guess yeah um they're just kind of like yeah just like doing all these like weird things that i guess maybe worked back then i don't know obviously but well, it, none of it worked <laughs> yeah there's this oftentimes very long scenes in which the camera will kind of sit in one position and you'll be given a certain type of image or kind of um, mise-en-scene if you will and so you'll kind of be given like a, a certain idea of what is going on and then you know as the scene goes on the camera will kind of move around and adjust and kind of invert what the original idea of the scene was i don't think it's necessarily like you know it's not like trickery it's not like a you know gotcha moments although perhaps maybe a little bit right at that that moment in the quote-unquote suicide it's kind of you know uh, tongue-in-cheek a bit but i think it's more about taking our expectations of what should be going on of how these people should feel of you know how we should be interacting with these characters and really playing off what a hundred plus years of period pieces and you know what a uh, romantic film should be and the way they should kind of fit together and especially i mean you know uh, the french romance goes back as you know early as uh, french filmmaking can go back so it, it's at the core of french poetry and, and novels and of course filmmaking so she's playing in a field that is very old and is very easy to kind of be thrown into cliches and i think that's something that our filmmaker here is always pushing against always challenging and these long shots are just more of of those kind of challenging these cliches and how these characters should interact together no you know like i said i like the second half of the movie because they're just hanging out they're just chilling there's really nothing else going on except that like, you know, Marion and, you know, Eloise, they're working, you know, Sophie, but and Sophie has, you know, wants to get the abortion. But overall, you know, they're all just kind of chilling, hanging out, they're playing cards. Um, you get that one scene where uh, they read the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Eurydice. They talk about like why Orpheus turns around to like look at his wife, causing her to be returned to the underworld. They talk about like, you know, how I guess like Orpheus, what's you know the memory of her even though she's being sent to the underworld or something like that so like they they talk about that and they go to that bonfire as well which is a great little scene visually where it's like um women are like it's like a like it's like a women choral 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 group and they're like singing and which that's another great moment in which you know there's no music but up until this point you know they are singing and so that music definitely uh uh you know adds to uh the movie um and there's that moment where like marianne is like sees eloise like through the fire at her and then eloise like moves out of the fire and like the bottom of her dress is burning and you get that great shot of her with like the dress burning and they like push her down and like uh put out the fire uh obviously a great uh you know just you know a good visual moment i mean you gotta appreciate the uh the pyrotechnics i mean it really it really looks like the dress is on fire it definitely looks like the dress is on fire it's, it's... It's very impressive. And I think the scene where they're 
reading the story of Orpheus and Euripides, however you pronounce their names, is kind of the crux of the film, or it's like they're right. It's, it's the thesis of the film because the film is about images, the way we see the world and how the world actually exists. And, you know, we, I guess we could talk more about this, but also, you know, one of the final scenes between the two of them is they basically create, or our Marianne creates a drawing of herself and a drawing of Eloise and Eloise like mini versions. Yeah, like mini versions. And Eloise points out that eventually when you remember me, you won't remember me. You remember the picture of me and the way in which our memories kind of fool us and trick us into believing certain things. And also, of course, the idea, right, of, of him looking back because that's the, she says it's the poet's form of lover it's like the poet's way right it's the poetic way it's not the, it's not the lover's way it's the poet's way or something like that yeah something along those lines but it i think it's more about this idea of image versus reality and i mean even you know to the extent of filmmaking itself you know what's real what's not and and knowing that you are playing with an art form itself as filmmaking is and you're kind of capturing a moment you're capturing an image but it's not real necessarily and eventually when you kind of think of these moments you don't think of the person you don't think of the feelings you are drawn back to the image and which one is more real the image of the person or the actual person and which one do you end up being drawn to like you know is this love when they think of this love in the future is it the love that they had at the moment or is it the idealization of the love and that's what I mean that's what filmmaking is right it's a idealization of reality because you're only capturing the exciting moments of life i mean even when you think of a documentary even something as mundane as hoop dreams which is a three plus hour film where you're just following a couple of people playing basketball it's a idealization of these moments in a person's lives and i think that's really what this film is all about and what filmmaking is all about and at the same time right what also painting is all about is it's not reality it's not real and in a certain sense their love is merely a figment of their own imagination it's what they want it to be it's what they wish it to be but you know you kind of wonder if they had run off together right we had this more fantastical sort of ending which in the moment it feels good would they really have been happier because of it I mean maybe at first but like who's to say that that might not have ended in just more heartbreak and sorrow. And, you know, I mean, they were only together two weeks and it's not that love can't be formed and bonded in those two weeks. And it seems like this is a very, you know, loving relationship and you truly root for them. But you wonder how much of this love is a remembered love, right? And I think it's really important that this film is bookended by a, a scene in the future two scenes in the future and it's not just right we don't just start with Marianne going to see Eloise because it shapes the whole narrative as a memory so you know what's actually true what's actually going on and what's just her remembering things a certain way like does she actually catch on fire um you know how dramatic are these certain moments and it almost becomes a memory itself like the whole film as if it's just a memory of a love lost and you wonder, you know, how much of that love is in the actual 
experience of being with that person and how much of that love is just kind of nostalgia? Yeah, I think there's like a couple things that kind of um, um, add to your theory. Like they have like a couple conversations early on where like they talk about like a fleeting moments and stuff like that about like, and I think Eloise like says something along the lines of, you know, not everything is fleeting. Um, they also talk, they also, um, Eloise like asked Marion like um, what it's like to be in love and like Marion doesn't really like give much of an answer, I think. And then, but then like, you know, they have a conversation later on after, you know, falling in love and she's like, yeah, like you asked me what it's like to fall in love. Well, you know, like it, it, this is it, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, uh, I didn't know what it feel, felt like until now, you know? And it's like, you know, it could be because, you know, it's, it's, it's the current moment. So she feels like a very strongly you know she feels very uh maybe she did fall in love you know years ago maybe about as strongly as now but because it was several years ago it's more uh subdued i guess so now she feels like very strongly now i think at the end of the day the thing that should have happened is that they should have been like you know together right if 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 if, if the waves and currents of history are were different that's like a what should have happened you know what i mean but because of certain like cultural and historical expectations they can't do it and it's not like this thing that they can do so i think at the end of the day like yeah sure like you could say that the whole movie is from the perspective of marion's memory and as if she's telling the story herself and i see what you mean but i don't know i think at the end of the day like at least what from what you see in the movie and what you can pick on from the movie is that it's um i don't think it's like something that is fleeting <laughs> you know what i mean it doesn't feel fleeting it is fleeting because like they part their ways after only like two weeks together and it is fleeting but i think it establishes itself enough in the fact that like you know their moment together didn't have to be a fleeting moment but it did um and that's okay that's just kind of the way that they that's kind of what they decided i guess i don't mean to be pessimistic by any means and you know i uh, you're certainly at least i am rooting for them the whole time and i don't I'm not questioning their love and suggesting it's it's not real, but I, I do think it's interesting the way that they they frame the film and the ways in which images and you know the idea of memory and and how we see the world and react to the world and you know especially you know the way we see and react to the world now and when we're reacting to something that's actually there versus like when we're reacting to something that we see, and I think it can even be hard at times, at least for me, to separate uh, a memory from a film. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think that I'm uh, remembering a portrait of a lady on fire as, as if it's my own memory. But I think that it can be challenging at times to separate the real from the imaginative, especially for an artist or a creator, at, even, you know, in the 17th century painter and i think there is this hearkening for a time that was and i think it's interesting because whenever i remember this film like whenever i think about this film i always think the last image of the film is when she sees the painting of eloise with her child i don't know if it's boy or girl it's it's kind of hard to tell whatever at the expo or whatever and of course she's uh, she's holding a book and it's, you know, it's exposing page 28, which of course is where she drew uh, her self-portrait. She put a little Easter egg in there. Yeah, a little Easter egg. <laughs> but of course, that's not the last scene in the film. 
you know, obviously like in the second half of the movie, you know, they kiss and they make love and, you know, they fall in love and they talk about it. And very tasteful. It's a very, it's very tasteful. The love scenes are very tasteful. Obviously these, and the uh, Sophie, the Sophie's abortion, they do take her to someone. That's, that scene is crazy too. Cause she's, so she's like lying on a bed and this woman is, you know, doing something to give her an abortion and there are is like a baby right next to her that's like playing and stuff L- holding her hand it's ironic i guess you know it's just uh it's a very nice ironic scene very uh very like whoa this is like crazy but once again i think that whole i think that whole kind of like subplot is, is very tastefully done and very nice and very it feels very true that's the conclusion of that subplot and like i said before heloise and marianne they get kind of mad because they finish the portrait and Marianne is just like, I, you know, I don't want you to go away. And, da, 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 da. and Eloise is like, well, what am I supposed to do? And they make up and her mother arrives like the next day. And she's like, yep, it's good. Here's your money. Bye. <laughs> you know, like, see you later. And, you know, Marianne's upset. And uh, she like, you know, hugs Heloise and the Countess. And then she, as she's about to open the door, Eloise says, turn around. And she turns around and she sees Eloise and she's in her wedding dress, which throughout the movie, you get like these like a weird ghostly figments that appear in front of Marianne of Eloise in her wedding dress. It's like kind of like a, like a, like a ghost from the future. You know what I mean? Where it's like kind of telling her like, Hey, by the way, like this is going to happen. That meeting concludes with it actually happening. Um, and you don't even need to like have any dialogue. You kind of already know that like, you kind of already know like in the back of your mind that like that that came true. You know what I mean? She did go to Milan and get married and they didn't end up together. You don't need to have like any like dialogue of them at that point because all she says is turn around, she sees Eloise and then it cuts. Yeah, I find that final argument between Eloise and Marianne to be a very hard argument to get through. It, it, it cuts deep because... I mean, at the end of the day, the argument becomes Eloise basically begging Marianne to ask her to stay. Like, that's all she has to do. Like, if you ask me, because Marianne basically says, like, you know, I don't want you to go. But she's like, I mean, Eloise is like, look, all you have to do is like ask, like, just like, I just want you to ask, like, just ask me to stay. But Marianne can't do it because, right? Because again, because they're forced into these cultural and historic currents, as you put it. And also she knows, or she believes that what's best for Eloise is to, I guess, go live in Milan with her husband. And it's a really tough moment. And I think something that they do very well in this film is nothing ever feels dramatized. It never feels as if things are just dramatic for... No, I don't think so either. That's why I like the, that there's no score. Because with the score, you can like heighten the drama. You can heighten the, the, the romance, you know what I mean? But there's none of that. It's just very like normal. And I think you can say the same thing about the abortion subplot as well. Yeah, no, I think it's all very, like I said, very tasteful. Everything is nice, quiet, subdued. If you're not in the mood for something like that, you probably shouldn't watch it. Um, cause like I said, it's not, it's not a noisy movie. You know what I mean? It's not a, uh, yeah, it's not loud, bombastic. There's no, there's very little music, like I've said. And, and, and I think it allows like the acting and the writing to shine, you know what I mean? Which, you know, in a movie like this, I think it's what's most important anyway, but I think visually, I think the movie also 
stands up top. And you were talking about too, like how Marianne sees that painting, of course. And this is like Marianne, like in a narration saying that she saw Eloise like two more times and then she never saw her again. I'm presuming where, like you said, she's like at the exhibition, uh, the salon, and she sees like the painting. And I think there's something kind of sweet about that. Like, you know, there's no, there's no communication at this point, right? There's no phones or photographs. So it's like Eloise kind of like sending like a message, a potential message to Marianne that may or may not get to her. It, it, it's very, you know, it could never get to her. So you got to admit very romantic about like, uh, you know, her kind of like pointing out the fact that like, you know, she hasn't forgotten about Marianne, you know, in a kind of like a weirdly public kind of roundabout way, I guess. Um, but, you know, it's a painting of her and Marianne's a painter. So maybe she'll see it. So I, I, I like that a lot. I, it's a nice little detail. Some people might say it's kind of like corny, but I'm, I've accepted it. I mean, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, it's totally, totally suitable um, for this type of movie. And then, like you said, you have the very last scene. Uh, the last scene's great. It's a beautiful, touching, and heart-wrenching moment. And it's a very simple scene. I mean, there's nothing complex about it. Basically, just see Marianne walk into the theater. And then the last, like, two to three minutes of the film is this a slow push-in of Eloise sitting... Uh, at an orchestra listening to the same song that Marianne played at the beginning of the film, which you recognize immediately, like you immediately recognize it's the same song. Again, I mean, you know, just incredible performances, but you just basically see her go through this emotional roller coaster in which, you know... Uh, yeah, it's basically just an uninterrupted scene of her listening to Vivaldi's Four Seasons and she's just crying. <laughs> it's intense. Yeah, I mean, she's she's like laughing, she's crying, she's going through all these different emotions and it's honestly the perfect way to end the film. I don't think there's a better way to end the film because again, right, it, it goes back to this idea of memory and, you know, images and, and how we see each other and how we remember each other. And and then of course, when it cuts to black. Yeah, it wasn't like Marianne like played like the whole thing perfectly. She only played like certain parts here and there, but still like- Eloise, like she felt so strongly about Marianne that you know it, it uh, greatly affected her so much that she it still like affected her when she listened to like the full like orchestra. That actor uh, did a really good job. I, I couldn't imagine just kind of like sitting there and like you kind of need like to like input like I guess like the the feelings and the memory of someone living in this in that time period. And then kind of like, I don't know, it seems like a very difficult, it would be a very difficult scene. I think crying on command is kind of difficult. Well, some people like do it every movie, you know, some people are just better at it than others. It's just like kind of like a technique, right? Like I was very impressed with it. It's, 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 it's doesn't seem very easy in this uh, instance. Yeah. And I, I think all around the performances are very good. Yeah. They're nice and subdued. Yeah. I mean, as we've put out, this is a very bare bones movie in a lot of ways. There's not a lot of sound design. There's very little score. Uh, even the visual images, which are beautiful, uh, often the scenes are very bare, right? There's just a couple of things within the shot. And their performances are very subtle. Like it'll just be like a movement of the lip or a movement of the eyebrow. And even this final performance, I mean, you talk about actors cry on command, there's definitely a spectrum. And I think even in this extremely emotional moment, it's very subtle. And it's not just like someone bawling, right? It's so much more complicated than that. And you can see that. You can see that in all of these different moments, you know, the way they react to each other. It's so much more complicated than 
you know, laughing or crying or being angry. Like there's just a thousand different emotions going on at once whenever you look at them, which is so important because so much of this film is just close-ups of people's faces. So like if they if they don't have the acting chops, it's not going to work. In this final moment, I I think it's the performance could not be done better. It's just a I think it ends perfectly. I think it ends on the right moment. And then just cuts to black and silence. And that's like that's the movie, but that's the that's the movie. Credits just roll over silence. That's the movie. A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a good movie for sure. You know, it's just uh, it, it kind of is consistently good all the way around. You know, it looks good. I love the decision to, I love the decision with its sound design and its use of music. I think all that was done very well. It's it consistently looks great. You know, its its ideas and its themes are very um, apparent and very well done. The performances are good. I think overall the writing's really good. You know, I think it's all really there. You know, it, it's a movie that like I'm willing to say that I really enjoyed it and it's really good and all the way around it's consistent. I don't think there's anything like really truly big out of place. You know what I mean? It is a movie that I think doesn't like necessarily like ring super hard with me i guess like it doesn't really like and not every movie is going to be like that there are a lot of movies that i think are really great that aren't going to necessarily like inspire me or really like like maybe change the way i look at like movies or the world there are very very few movies that do that and this is just kind of example of one that's like that where i like everything about it i think everything about it is really great i think everyone in it is great i, I would probably watch it again but it's a movie that i'm not necessarily like clamoring to watch it again if you're looking for something nice quiet subdued you know it still has like a lot of heart going on definitely watch it definitely uh, an eight out of ten for me i definitely have a lot of the same feelings about the film especially the first time i watched the film and i don't know what it was about this second experience i don't know if it's just a state of mind or where i am in the world or whatever but this time it really connected with me in a way that it didn't the first time. I mean, as we talked about, the performances are just incredible. The visuals are amazing. The sound design is great. The writing is beautiful. It's one of those few films that I do wish I spoke the original language in which the film was written in because so much of this film, it'll be like, you know, they'll say something and it'll be like a miscommunication. They're like, no, not this word, but this word, which... I mean, it works in English, but I'm sure like we're missing a lot in translation with this film. I mean, I'm not probably not going to go out and learn French, but I do feel like we're kind of missing something in that, which is a bit disappointing. It's kind of like when you watch an Igmar Bergman film, there's definitely kind of something lost in the translation. I, I certainly feel the way with this film, especially on this second watch. But even with what's lost in translation, I'm just really moved by this film and not only the love story but the way in which the artists see filmmaking as a form of art and creation and the way we experience the world especially as creators and artists it's really touching i'm gonna give this film a solid nine out of ten it's good it's good it's true it's true what everyone says all right, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can find anything we do anywhere you find podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at With Nothing to Say Pod. And you can find anything I do at Austin Lugo One Two. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ADHR24. I'm also on Letterboxd at Retro Andrew, R E T R Zero Andrew. And until next time, thank you.
Thank you all for listening to another incredible episode of With Nothing to Say. This community is built by and of and for you. So thank you all for listening. And before we go, just a quick shout out to our incredible editor, Shannon Mitchell. They are one of the greatest editors in the industry, and we really could not do it without you. So thank you, Shannon. And until next week.